Better than this, guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Friday edition of the show. I guess, Kyle, this is like preliminary battle of the boards. Welcome. Yeah, this will be, I guess, a watered-down version, right? It's it's pretty benign relative to some of the clashes we've had in the past. few weeks. We got... Uh, what a month until the big battle of the boards comes out. What's the draft 48 days away? Something like that. Oh Lord. Don't remind me. Yeah. Everybody wants it to be sooner. We want all the time we could get to get all the yes. tape. tape Please work in, man. stretch it out. Let's push it back another three weeks. We can do this in May, May 15th. Right. You know, that'd be fine. You remember, although remember the one year they did push it back a week and we were like, yo, this sucks. Like, <laughs> Just give us the draft hey, already. Deadline spur action, right? So I guess we kind of need it. Hey, I, I can confirm that because I'm in the zone right now. Good. As far as all the stuff I got to do, I'm going boom, 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 right down the line. Three games on a guy, write him up, let's move on with my life. Because you're at that point in the process where it's the back 50 guys, right? Where it's like... Don't give yeah. me too much credit. It's like the back 64. Okay. Well, it was off by 14. So, yes, but it's it's generally speaking, the guys at the top of the board you invest more time into and then by and large, and especially since like I've seen some of these guys at like the Shrine Bowl and the Senior Bowl, and it, you kind of get a feel for who they are throughout that week, and then you pull up the tape and it's like, yeah, you're exactly what I thought you were. So <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and just get the formalities and make sure I give him his due justice in due time, and then I'll be able to write him up pretty quick. So today we're going to – Examine each other's updated post combine big boards. Yeah, because you you slide dog, you've got one on the site and you're not even advertising it. Right, because it's technically not releasing <laughs> until Saturday. So, well, you made the mistake of having it done, so I'm going to take it and say, you know, okay, you're going to rip through mine. I'm going to rip through yours. No good deed ever goes unpunished. Oh, the, the truest of statements. Right, the one thing I've learned in 33 years on this earth. So, all right, I want to. I got something I got to get to yours about. If we could, we can't. Are you going to ask me why I have the best prospect at number one and you have him at number two? No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go ahead. The floor is yours. They'll shut up. I want to talk about what happened to these offensive tackles, Kyle. I guess I'm a little surprised to see Tristan Wirfs at 18, Mikai Becton at 19, and you've got, I mean, good players, J.K. Dobbins, Yeter Gross-Matos, even Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver from LSU. What happened? Yeah, so the way I do my scoring, if you're not familiar and listening to this podcast, if this is the first year you found the Draft Network, or even if you're used to, to some of the stuff that I've done in the past, the way I've done scoring changed last year, and I really liked the product that I got as a result. So I grade players based on 10 film traits. You put them in buckets. You know, if if you get a score between X and Y, you're a top 10 valuation for a player. If you're between Y and Z, you're a first round grade. So on and so forth. It goes all the way down. So I have uh, eight 
top 10 grades this year, Joe, between Joe Burrow, Chase Young, Isaiah Simmons, Derek Brown, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, Jeff Kuda, Jedrick Wills. Those are my top 10 grades. I have 25 overall first-round grades, including the top 10 guys. So the offensive tackles that you're talking about, like Tristan Wirfs and Mekhi Becton, that strike zone for that bucket is between an 8.49 and an 8.00. Why you saw Werfs and Becton check in in the middle of that group behind some guys that you mentioned, like J.K. Dobbins and Yeter Gross Matos, is the film score that they receive serves as a multiplier to help break ties for all the metrics that I uh, apply to break, you know, and sort out who goes in what spot within the bucket. So if a guy is scored an 8-0-0, he has the lowest possible film score to be in the bucket. And I don't want to make it there that he's starting at a blank slate versus somebody who might have scored an 8-4-9, which is the highest you can be within the bucket. So that discrepancy in the film score, which is based off of and graded on how they perform at their 10 specific position traits, uh, gets used as a multiplier into their metrics that are applied to an athleticism testing and experience and production and so on and so forth. So that was kind of that that is a very crowded group from Caleb on Chase on at 12 down through Grant Delpit at 21. That is a very tightly bunched group. And uh, as, for example, if Yeter Gross Matos comes out of this pro day at Penn State and he runs five flat, yeah, that, yeah. That, that might, but that might be enough <laughs> to drop him to 21st behind Werfs and Becton and Delpit and some of the names that you're mentioning there. So it's kind of, it's a unique way of doing film study and, and using metrics to complement it. But this is the first result of what these film evaluations and then applying the metrics has led me to for sorting out who goes in what spot within the bucket. I know that's a very long-winded answer to a very simple question as to why are Werfs and, and Becton still top 20, but 18 and 19. But yeah. uh, that that's why. Why did you say that about Yeter Gross Matos? Just for an well, example, or do you think there's a chance that he runs five flat? No. No, I don't think there's a chance. <laughs> but, but I mean, his testing was okay. I was expecting some some better testing, like explosive results out of him. Um, but that's an example of a guy who didn't run a 40, right? So if he has bad testing and fills out the rest of his athletic profile and it's all bad, it might drag him down. Yee Turgrosmano, 6'5", 266, 34 and 7 eighth inch arms. 34 vert, 10 foot broad. The the vert is 62 percentile. Broad is 77 percentile for one gap defensive ends. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I thought that vert was going to be like 38. It's still 62 percentile. It's, it's, I understand yeah. that. Did he run shuttles? He no, didn't run shuttles. That's all he did. He had 20 bench press reps. So Okay. So, yeah, he's. Uh, I would like to know what his 10-yard split is, and I'd like to know what his three cone is. Of course. Yeah. If those If those are good, I mean, he can't go much higher. Like he's not, I can already tell you with certainty, like mathematically speaking, it's impossible for him to get past two in rugs at yeah. nine and 10. Yeah. yeah. So he, the best he could hope to do is if he absolutely blows it out of the water, he might pass 
chase on for edge, but I also, or edge too, but I also highly doubt that. All right. Send it. So I'm looking over your board and uh, I'm pleasantly surprised to see some big 10 guys here. You got a nice stretch of four names, Joe. Okay. Uter Grossmanos at 20 for you. I've got him at 14. Cesar Ruiz at 21. J.K. Dobbins at 22. Antoine Winfield at 23. I guess my, my question for you at this point in time with your rankings is how big of a factor is positional value? Because I see a guy like Cesar Ruiz at 21. And obviously there's a big discussion around running backs and and I don't necessarily subscribe to positional value at running back. I'm just trying to identify good players, which is why I have Dobbins at 13. But what does, because I know you're you're not finalized and you have a little bit more fluidity to your rankings at this point versus what I've put out. Uh, I don't think about positional value at all at this point, to be completely honest with you. Um Caesar Ruiz, I guess, especially, and I don't really think about this, but in a class where I don't think the interior offensive line group is deep, I like some of the day two guys like Jonah Jackson and Robert Hunt, Matt Hennessy, those types of players as potential starters. But Caesar Ruiz is that one guy that I came away from his tape and I thought to myself, I'm getting the Elgin Jenkins vibe. I'm getting the Eric McCoy vibe where both of those guys wound up being really, really good rookie starters. And I think I see Cesar Ruiz in the same light where I wish in hindsight I had those guys higher on my board. I had them both. I think I probably had a, a – they were top 40 players on my board, but it felt like they could have been higher up because I I wanted them I, – I kind of felt that they would be that impact starter. And Ruiz just really gives me that same type of vibe. And so I think you get a high-quality starting interior offensive lineman from day one with position flexibility, with scheme versatility. He's powerful. He can move. I just, I don't, it's hard to poke holes in his game. And for that reason, like it, maybe not every team would value him in that regard because they have bigger needs. But if, if you're kind of in that boat where you just need to solidify, solidify the interior offensive line, like go get Cesar Ruiz. And I think you're getting a high quality starter that can play for a long time. All right, Kyle. Seems like you are. Hmm. How do I phrase this? It seems like you are more interested in buying into the upside of a Jordan Love at 27 on your board and Justin Herbert at 11. Neither one of them, I think we can both acknowledge the warts in each of their game, but this is this is a different, this is a shift in, I've been following your work. I've been working closely with you for what, five years or something like that now. These are not the type of quarterback prospects that traditionally I would expect to see this high up in your in your personal rankings what are you seeing? Is, is this is this having foresight, buying into the traits? What what take talk us through this? Okay, so Jordan Love, I think, is the one who's most interesting uh, to discuss because he is. You're right, a player who, in years past, you know, I might have been a little bit more bullish on, and that he doesn't win within structure, and, and a lot of the, the phrasing that I use here is like mental reconditioning, right? Like you got to break down the bad habits and then build new ones up. And, and what kind of time is that going to take? And uh, man, as much as football is a complex game, football is also a simple game. And that's been something that I've, I've kind of had the revelation in and seeing you know, a guy like 
Kyler Murray come in and have the success that he had. And, and Kyler was my QB one last year, but I still had some apprehensions with him and, and Josh Allen the year before, or was it the year before that or two years? 18. Before? Year 18. Before, 2018. Yeah. So the year before that, Josh Allen being a guy who I was completely out on, I said, no, thanks. He's not for me. Well, he's when you got the tools that these guys have, you're going to be for somebody. <laughs> Let's just call it as it is. And he's going to get a chance to start at the pro level. And, and I, I think in the right situation, I'm trying as much as possible to look at all these guys through the scope of pretend they go to the, the best spot. What does that look like? What does the end result look like? Because that's obviously what you see with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. We've talked about this, Joe, plenty of times. If Patrick Mahomes goes to Cleveland instead of Kansas City, is he Patrick Mahomes? Right. Yeah. No, I have man. no way I have no way of knowing where Jordan Love is going to go. But I do think and I do strongly feel that if Jordan Love were to go into a friendly situation as far as stable coaching staff, good offensive mind, and someone who's willing to to not tame the stallion, but ride the stallion a little bit as far as like, you're going to get the ups and downs, right? And, and a lot of the good ones, for every good play, there's one that makes you want to pull your hair out. And I think you're, you'll always have that to a certain degree with Jordan Love, but I think you could win with Jordan Love as a starting quarterback in the NFL. And I think he can win you games because of what he does off structure. So I have had this kind of general trend towards favoring the guys who can win off structure in the last three years or so versus what I felt beforehand, which is you've got to be super polished. You got to always win because that's like, look at, look at Jared Goff. Jared Goff wins in structure. He sucks outside of structure right now. If we're being honest, he's not effective as a quarterback outside of structure. When you blitz him, is he able to make a guy miss and get outside the pocket? No. Can Jordan Love do that? Yes. And even, even extending to Justin Herbert to answer your question there, the biggest thing that that as I rewatched Justin Herbert was a lot of the times in which he took the bad sacks, there was no one open. And like that, you hate watching a guy kind of loop back into the pocket, take a bad sack, make a bad play. But the biggest thing that was also apparent when I rewatched Justin Herbert was every inch of the field is available to him, no matter where he's at, because he's that that good of an arm he has. So Yes, you have to be willing to live with negative plays, but you have to be a total unicorn to to just consistently stay out of bad plays. Tua took bad sacks. I rewatched a little bit of Tua last week. It's like, brother, just just throw the ball away. Just take the check down. So I think the tools for both of Justin Herbert and Jordan Love are such that I get excited about their potential as NFL starting quarterbacks. And I think that there's enough of a floor for both of those guys where I feel comfortable projecting him into starting roles. Can we have a little bit of a love fest here for Devon Hamilton? Yeesh. 53rd on both of our boards. Same spot. <laughs> yeah. He's a good player, man. Um, I think if you if you think about some guys like Dalvin Tomlinson. That's the first name I was going to bring up. Yeah, you watch the tape. Just a guy that can really control at the point. No issues whatsoever exchanging power. He's going to hold his own. But then see some of the penetration skills in terms of converting speed to power and really 
pushing the depth of the pocket. And you think there's enough juice there that they can have some impact as a pass rusher. Mm-hmm. I guess the weird thing about Devon man is like, he didn't play a ton until this year. And then he got that starting gig. And I think he played like right at about 400 snaps. So I just feel like there's a ceiling here that is untapped. And I mean, even like Jaron Reed in the, was a second round pick BJ Hill to an extent, maybe Dexter Lawrence, um, in, into this mix of defensive tackle that I think get pegged unfairly as just a, a plug. I think there's more to Devon. I think he's got good tape. He's got good tools and he's got enough juice that makes me believe he can develop more pass rush ability. Well, and that's the exciting thing with him, right? Is it's like you can play him at a, at a true nose. Like you saw him stack up Tyler Beattis in the big 10 championship game. And he did it again and again and again and again and again. It's like, okay, like that guy can, can plug the middle. But then you watch him in penetration reps, and it's like, okay, like I want to run even front, and I want him in a one tech, and I want to have him shoot the a gap because he'll run, he'll run through lateral contact. Yes, yes. So I I agree, and he was one of the more pleasant surprises of mine when I watched the tape. Uh, as far as just a guy who I think has some three down ability, I don't think he's ever going to be like a stalwart pass rusher, but he's long, he's powerful, he can collapse, he can two gap. He, he checks a lot of boxes. Yeah. Valuable player, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Kyle, the, the number one thing that surprised me when I, I pulled up your board and skimmed through it today was that you had Troy Dye at 54. Not a player that you and I have really discussed favorably in the past. And I, I'm guessing between our last conversation and now you've taken the time to get into his tape and, and drew some things that you liked from it. And, and so 54, I mean, that's somebody that you view as, I mean, I'm guessing somewhere mid-second round, maybe early third round, guy that you see can be a starter. What uh, What's changed for you on die? Well, I think you, you think about what kind of linebackers in the NFL have the most staying power. And I'm, I'm going to genuinely ask you the question right now. Who's more likely to have longer staying power? An athletically limited smart guy or a super athletic guy who might not always be consistent with his keys yeah this the latter is obviously yes the latter that's troy die he oozes athletic potential so i mean i i had him at, at about average is what i scored him for his mental processing and, and and reading his keys and consistency in those areas but he's long he's explosive this dude's tough as shit like excuse my french but he played with a torn meniscus and a broken thumb at the end of this past season. Yep. Ton of respect for a guy who, who will go out and play with a club and a torn meniscus. So he's got toughness. He's explosive. He's long. You, you, you watch the, was it the Stanford game from 2018? And you, you watch him close ground as far as when he sees it and how much distance he can cover him because he's so long, how much space and his sphere of influence, right? Like if, if you hold your arms straight up or you hold your arms straight out to your sides, tackle radius is large. Ability to, to contest throwing windows in the shallow areas is large. And he's fast. So like Troy Dye, it's like, yeah, like I'm I'm probably as willing as I've ever been to except some of the faults of Troy die from a mental processing standpoint, because his length and his speed is going to allow him to 
cover a lot of those issues. Do I want to play true Mike? No. I don't, I don't want him as the Mike linebacker where he's so integral in, as far as angles between the tackles and, and pressing outside the hashes in the in run support, but I think he can bring a lot of value to a defense as a starter, even knowing that, yeah, hey, you're you're probably not going to get every single play he's going to be where he's supposed to be. He's probably going to be like an 80%. And, uh, but, but on those two reps out of every 10, he's got the length and explosiveness that he can make up ground pretty quickly. Let's see. I need to ask you. Where'd he go? I had it, man. Oh, Julian Aquara. Mm. Notre Dame. You and I both are selling Aquara stock right now. You have him 72nd. I have him 61st. What has, because entering this season, I have my own answer to this, but I'd like to hear yours. Entering this season, Acquire was generally considered to be what? Would you say a top three or four edge? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a top 40, top 30 guy. Right. So where has that shift taken place for you to where now he he's kind of like a, a midday two type prospect for you? First, let me say I really enjoyed his podium session. Um, a lot of confidence kind of a humble guy, really appreciate his story coming from Nigeria, the gratitude he has for his parents to get him out of that situation and make it, you know, obviously his brother went to Notre Dame, NFL player, his sisters in college as well. And look at this guy getting ready to get drafted into the NFL. So I I love his story. And I think that's probably an underrated part of his evaluation. Just there's a, there's a level of gratitude and appreciation and urgency, I think, to take advantage of his opportunity, which I, 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 think would make me buy into him a bit more. Um, I guess the the challenge with Julian Aquara, I really love his burst. I love his flexibility. I think that he can, he has the upside to potentially run circles around guys, but whenever power is needed from him, whether that's stacking a block, setting the edge, you know, working through contact, um, disengaging once he's level with the quarterback, I don't necessarily see that ability with him. And, He'll tell you differently. Like when he at, when he was asked about what his best pass rush ability was, and it was he really talked about that he's both powerful and explosive, and that he can run right through the face of guys. And I'm like, brother, I don't see that on tape. And I just feel like if you can, if he, if blockers get hands on him, it's really kind of game over. And so I think he's very reliant on that ability to get a step and make sure that he can diminish surface area to get by guys. And so I think he's a bit of a one trick pony. I do think he might be able to play in space a little bit um, and give you some speed rush, but I want to see more power in a guy that I value higher up the board. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. And he got tossed man against Georgia, Georgia and uh, Louisville, Louisville, the two times you went up against power running in an offensive tackles and I agree. He kind of got thrown around. Yeah. Kyle, tell me about top 50 player Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois. Oh, my God. He's my dude this year. That's the Lukies. Yeah, it's – he's so exciting as far as what he can be. He's 6'3", 220. And Ben Fennell, if you don't follow Ben on on Twitter, he's, I think, at Ben Fennell NFL. Right. I believe is what he's at. He put up a clip yesterday that that encapsulated 
perfectly why Chin is a guy who's really attractive to me. So I put out the question on Twitter. I actually haven't checked the results of that. Have you seen it lately? Uh, as soon I, as you said I that, asked, I wanted to go back and look. I, I asked everyone, who would you rather have, Kyle Duggar or Jeremy Chin? I'm and pulling up the results now. It's 54% Kyle Duggar, 44%. Okay. Closer than it was when I voted. Yeah, so I, I put out something last night after it was up for about four hours with the clip of Ben's, <laughs> or the, the tweet of Ben's clip of Chin coming out like across the field, like opposite side hook curl to run underneath the nine route. Like just stupid range. And I said, 61% of you are wrong. Okay, so and, you swayed the people. And that, now it's swung. I've, I've cut the deficit about in half over the last 12 hours overnight. But I think he's more polished than Kyle Duggar. I mean, they, these are equally explosive guys. Chin's a little bigger. Uh, they're equally explosive. Chin has more polish in play recognition skills. Chin, I think, gives you more in man coverage. And Jim Nagy chimed in on this last night on Twitter. He said, watch the... Uh, the Mississippi game from 2018, he plays man to man with AJ Brown in the slot and like did it well. So you got an exciting athletic profile of like a really rare athlete who has hybrid ability, who can play man to man coverage, who has good, very good flashes of football instinct at the, the FCS level dominated the competition, blew up the NFL combine, he checks all the small school boxes. And uh, Joe, I'll tell you this. If I miss Isaiah Simmons in the first round, Chin's my guy on day two. Because you're, you're talking about a guy that's 15 pounds lighter and just as explosive and can do a lot of the same things from a chess piece perspective. Not saying that he played at the highest level and has that elite level of mental processing that I think Isaiah Simmons does at this point in time. But Chin's like, Chin's your backup plan if you want the chess piece. And I would rather have him over Kyle Duggar. I think he's one of the, the better small school prospects. He's my safety four at this point behind McKinney, Delpit, and Antoine Winfield Jr. If Jarkiski Tart can be the 46th pick in the draft in 2015, Jeremy Chin's got a good chance of going in that range. Yeah, man. Yeah, I think he's he's this year's uh, small school riser that's going to crash the party pretty early on. You think he's a better prospect than Nasir Adderley? Different players, obviously. He's a but. very very different player. Um, I had Nasir rated a little bit higher because I thought Nasir was a little bit more straightforward as far as his, his skills in zone coverage. Uh, Nasir... I thought was capable of playing like, true single high. But uh, if you're going to go off the explosiveness component, Chin's more explosive than this year and like not even close. And he's a lot bigger. So hey. I think there's there's merits that could go either way on that one. I think the NFL will draft Chin higher than they, they drafted this year. Adderley. Can can I, I – I know we were about done, and maybe you were thinking about asking me a question, but since it's your board released it, I oh, really – I, I got to get sure. one more in here. Sure, Joe. Go ahead. One more needed to come in. Tell me what your take is on Darrell Taylor. You have him at 111. I've seen him – seen a lot of range with 
him specifically. I don't think you're overly high on him. What do you think his ceiling is and what makes you nervous? I think he 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 can be like a starting base end, in my opinion. Early down guy. He just doesn't really move the knee. I think he's done a nice job kind of filling out his frame. You know, he looked really dense when we saw him throughout the uh, the draft circuit this year. And he's got the build of a 4-3 defensive end. And uh, I, I think he's got a fair amount of twitch to his game. But I didn't really see a lot of consistent stacking and hand counters. And, and the, I just didn't have the pass rush palette there that really moved the needle for me, if that makes sense. Um, there were times earlier in his career where he played as more of a finesse type guy. Uh, he has a, a long arm and speed to power component that as he's filled out his frame, I think he can get by with, but I just think he lacks creativity as a pass rusher where if you frame him well, I don't think he's going to be able to get consistent pressure. All right. He, I, I think I told you this, but one thing that I think grew my appreciation for Darrell Taylor is I had done Julian Aquara's entire evaluation in the last game. <laughs> yeah. The, the last game I watched was Georgia, right? So I start Darrell Taylor next, and the first game I watch is Georgia. And seeing the way Taylor handled those, I guess it was Isaiah Wilson at right Pri- tackle, Primarily Isaiah Wilson, yeah. Compared to Aquara, I'm like, yeah, maybe I don't have the same juice, but I've got way more power. And I was really, I really grew an appreciation for his ability to anchor and, and win against a guy that was, I mean, what's Wilson 60, 70 pounds more than Taylor or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So I, I watched four or five games for Taylor and Georgia was the one that I earmarked as the worst one, but it wasn't a bad game, right? It's, it's like, it just didn't, he didn't give you a lot from a pass rush perspective there, but absolutely. If you're taking play at the point of attack, anchor length and, and functional strength. And you take that out of the Georgia game he held up about as well as you could possibly hope a guy that's 259 pounds is going to hold up against Isaiah Wilson, who's 350. Yeah. All right, well, this is a good tease for, I guess, what's to come in our board discussions. Yeah, pretty civil. I think it needed to be after yesterday. People were concerned. I love that. Yeah. Like, you know, you guys okay? <laughs> what was the other? It was the, uh, we've had a couple of those moments in the last, I guess, four or five months where people are like, wow, you guys really disagreed there. Yes. Get a bounce back. I'm I just going to next time. I'm just going to start doing the Mel Kuyper and go Todd, 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 Todd. Wouldn't it be Joe? Though, you off. Todd? Joe, 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 Joe. Yeah. We just need to figure out what we're going to bet five grand on in this draft. Since, <laughs> since Mel and Todd have that bet. Can we, can it, first of all, uh, five grand, you mean monopoly money, right? <laughs> yes. Or uh, five grand in, in, I don't know some other currency. <laughs> think neither one of us is rolling in the dough like that, man. No, we're doing okay, but we're not, we're not doing that. Okay. So Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, listen, Monday to a doctor appointment, mark your calendars. Mm. Joe, we, we might have to delay the recording so that we get the news. What can you tell me what we're expect to hear, expected to hear? What's the he's 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 potentially getting cleared for football activities. Oh, so if, if it's so, if it's if a he, no, this is a real problem. Yes, if it's a no, then 
it it could turn the the, the quarterback market upside down. Who writes the mock draft on Monday? Good for them. I, I do. <laughs> I'm gonna have to write two. Because <laughs> if it's a no, that changes everything, right? Right. Oh yep. man. All so right. I'm I'm probably gonna write two, and the only analysis that's gonna change is those wherever Tua was versus wherever Tua ends up if I have to flip it over. But I will have a backup ready. All right. I'll have I'll have Tua passes doctor doctor exam and <laughs> Tua fails doctor exam. And as soon as the news breaks, if it's if it's one way or the other and it's not the one I have posted, I will flip the script and we can rerun it again. Major implications for Monday. And Mark Kyle's weekend having to write this. Your calendars, friends. Draft dudes. We'll see you on Monday. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your weekend.